You are listening to Natural Born Alchemist. Welcome to episode number 245 of the Natural Born Alchemist podcast. My name is Alex and I'll be your host. Today it felt like fall arrived or autumn if you will. And uh, at least at the time of this recording depends on where you are in time. But right now fall has arrived and I love the fall. I love autumn. There's something cozy about it, something magical. Leaves blowing in the wind. The days are darker, the night is darker, the moon is brighter. I love the fall. There's no guest today either. I haven't had a guest for a few episodes in a row now. And uh, to be frank, there's nobody I want to talk to. I've talked to so many people on this podcast, I can't really, I'm not inspired to find somebody. I mean, I'm trying to find somebody, but I don't know. Nobody has piqued my interest. Oh, there's one, but our interview got cancelled and we had to reschedule, so maybe that person will appear in the future at some point. But uh, maybe, is there somebody I could talk to? I could call, yeah, yeah, I could call him. Yeah, let me call him, actually. Let's see if he's available. For quality and training purposes, this call may be monitored, but will not be recorded. Thank you for calling the White House. The White House? Yes, I'm calling for a possible interview regarding... uh, uh, the National Alchemist podcast with uh, President Donald Trump, if if he's available today. Okay, one moment. What? The fuck they hang up on me? What the fucking cunts? Can you believe it? You know, just... How rude. How rude. Let's focus on dreams in this episode. I want to play a short TEDx talk by Thomas Peisel. Thomas is a graduate of the Tisch School of the Arts at New York University. His website dreamlabs.io aims to explore the potential of dreaming through interactive social experiments and educational videos. Thomas Peisel has written a book called (laughs) Onironautics. Basically, that means navigating dreams. But it's a very hard word to pronounce. Onironautics. A field guide to lucid dreaming. That's the name of the book. And after his short talk, I'll play a short bit about dreams and psychedelics from the great bard Terence McKenna. Let's go. Every single night, regardless of our age, our race, our creed, or our gender, we participate in one of the most mysterious and universal human experiences. We dream. But what do we know about this strange nighttime occurrence? 
Science shows that we dream for about four to five times a night, for about two hours each night, totaling for about six hours of our lives. And while there's many theories today on why we dream and what dreams are, we still don't know what dreams are and why we have them. So some theories suggest that our brains are like computers, that um, dreams consolidate our memories and they help us organize our thoughts so that we can help process more information the next day. Another theory suggests that it's about future rehearsal, that dreams are a safe place for us to make connections between different thoughts and emotions and a safe place for us to practice uh, and test out certain scenarios. And then another, um, probably the most popular theory is called the activation synthesis model. And it was introduced to us in 1977 by researchers Alan Hobson and Robert McCarley. And essentially states that our dreams are a reaction to biological processes that happen while we sleep. Essentially they're saying that uh, our dreams are the byproduct of random neural firings that our frontal lobe tries to incorporate into some sort of narrative. So it's, in a way, this is why I think how we say um, why dreams are so strange and why we teach our children that they're just dreams. But history teaches us something else. To the Australian Aborigines and many shamanic and indigenous cultures throughout the world, dreams were thought to take place on a, sh on a separate reality that existed parallel to and overlapping this reality, this physical one. So rather than dreams being these private, separate experiences happening only in your mind, dreams were thought to take place on a shared and collective reality, uh, a timeless and infinite place that they called dream time. So I'm not here to tell you what dreams are or why we have them. That's not my role to play. But I can tell you from my own personal journey that dreams are powerful and transformative experiences. In the two hours in which we dream every night, we can find insight, guidance, clarity, even self-discovery. But more than that, dreams can show us a bigger picture of who we are and remind us that we are the dreamers of our lives, both in waking and in sleep. So when I was a teenager, I would carry around a totem in my pocket. And this item took many forms over the years. At one point, it was a 50-cent plastic monkey. Uh, at another time, it was a 9-millimeter bullet that I found. And then later, it was this compass. And what it was, it didn't matter. It was really every time I saw it, I was supposed to stop and ask myself this seemingly strange question. Am I dreaming? And I wasn't just an awkward teenager with too much time on his hands. I was training myself to become a lucid dreamer. And the idea was simple. If I continuously asked myself in my waking state, am I dreaming, that same habit will carry over into my dreams. Soon I'll find myself dreaming, and I'll ask myself, am I dreaming? Yes, I am. The first time, or one of the first times it happens, I remember I was standing in my room and it was dark and I remember standing up and I was like, did I get up to go to the bathroom? And I couldn't remember so I just tested, I was like, maybe I'm dreaming and I jumped up and I floated to the ceiling and my hands went through the roof. Jackpot, I was in, I thought. <laughs> but for those who don't know, what is a lucid dream? So a lucid dream is a dream in which you know you're dreaming. So you're asleep, but you have waking awareness in the dream state. So normally when we wake up in our dream, or sorry, when we wake up in the morning and we recall our dreams, the memories can seem a bit fragmented or foggy or wispy, and often we think that's the dream. And we're mistaken here because that's not the dream itself, that's just the memory of the dream. Our dreams have a present moment just as rich and vivid as this moment right now. Awakening to that present moment is the key to lucid dreaming. It's what 
It's that self-reflective realization of, wait a second, I'm in a dream right now in this moment, which feels like. Uh, it's what science would prove in the late 1970s and what ancients have been telling us, ancient cultures have been telling us for centuries, that we can be awake in our dreams. So I got really good at lucid dreaming. I was able to induce it, and uh, I was now able to stay in them for longer periods of time. In the beginning, I would only be able to stay there for a couple minutes at most. And I remember being fascinated by how realistic everything felt. You know, I would, when I was flying, I could feel the breeze against my face. I could feel the heat of the sun against my back. When I held an object, I could, I could feel its weight and its texture. I felt what it was like to walk through walls and breathe underwater and barrel roll across moonlit clouds. Those beginning early dreams were very profound for me. Um, but also, just to be honest, those early lucid dreams, I was flying around and having a lot of sex. Um, I mean, what do you think a teenager is doing with infinite possibilities in the landscape of their own psyche? And if the Aborigines and the shamanic cultures were correct and that it does take place in dream time or the spirit world, I have to apologize because I have had sex with a lot of it. So, so then it's, things started to change for me. It was less about fantasy fulfillment for me at this point. I was very curious about how did things work in this dream world? I remember thinking, if I could figure out things here in the dream world, maybe I could find some new insights into my waking life. If I could figure out how I create the dream, maybe I could figure out how I create my reality. Yeah, so I was fascinated by that. And so, so I, I remember thinking, um, there's certain characteristics in the dream world. And one thing that stood out always was that the dream world is alive. Everything in it, every single thing um, feels alive and rife with a consciousness, as if even the air itself is alive. It's you. So therefore, everything from this tree, or this whatever that is, and this thing, I can talk to it, I can communicate with it, and I can change it. I remember the greatest advice I ever got was from an oak tree. And I remember it was at a time when I desperately sought its strength and stability, and I asked it, how can I be like you? And it said, build something that will outlast your body. And it showed me what that meant for me in my life. So another thing that occurred to me was that the dream world was responsive, that my thoughts and my emotions would affect the world outside of myself, that these were the active ingredients shaping my experience. So a focused thought could take me anywhere, or a concentrated intention in my dreams could create anything. The dream world was a mirror of me and my inner state. Um, so if I found myself in a very peaceful inner state, I would, might find myself in a very peaceful dream. If I was full of fear and worry, I might find myself in a nightmare, which we're all very familiar with. And I realized it started getting deeper. I realized that in my nightmares, when I'm running from a nightmare, that there's no escaping it. I, wherever I would go, there I was. That I'm the one running, but I'm also the one chasing. I am that nightmare. This is my shadow, and there's no ever escaping it. I realized that the biggest thing that I realized, I'll just get right to the point, and this came to me in a beautiful lucid dream in which I fly, it's, this, it's a city, and it's night out and I fly like Magneto, I'm feeling like a badass. I fly like Magneto on top of a rooftop. And I feel awesome, but I'm completely humbled when I look out at what I see. And I see an entire city out in front of me. And I can see it in rich, crystal clear clarity, all the way to the horizon. And I remember thinking, 
not only am I in this dream, but this dream, all of it, is inside of me. And in that moment, my identity expanded, and I was no longer Thomas, but embraced the entire dream as my extended body. I felt one with it. And I realized that I could change any of it, that it, to change it, my power came from by changing myself, that if I changed my own thoughts, my emotions, my expectations, my beliefs, the dream world would reflect outside of myself. So what does this mean? I don't think these insights are exclusive to the dream world. I think they're meant to be brought here and now into our waking lives, to turn this unconscious dream we call life into a lucid dream one in which we're actively shaping and creating rather than reacting to or feeling separate from. That at the foundation of all lucidity is being present. That we're in the, when we're in the present moment of our lives, fear or uh, love, acceptance, um, forgiveness, enlightenment, we can find it all right here, right now, or not at all. That to be lucid here would be to know that your thoughts and your emotions are actively shaping and creating your, your reality. And that with awareness, always, always, always with awareness comes now choice. And with choice, freedom. We have the freedom to choose our thoughts and to direct our emotions to create our lives. It reminds us that wherever we go, there we are. If we're running from something in life, a responsibility, a situation, or, or a relationship, we could fly to the other side of the country, but wherever we go, there we will be creating our lives. That we may be the one running, but we're also the one chasing. That, that thing that we're running from is actually, over and over I found out when facing these nightmares, it's our power. It's not meant to hurt you. We call them dark, not because they're bad, but because they're unconscious, because we need to give them our light. These parts of our psyche need our acceptance and to be integrated into us. And ultimately, that if we want to change the dream, if we want to change the dream of our life, that there's nothing outside of us. That to change the dream, we must change ourselves. We must make a shift within, change our thoughts, our emotions, again, our expectations, our beliefs. I want to leave you with a very short story, and it's from one of my favorite Native American parables. And it begins with the creator gathering all of the animals together and says, I want to hide something from humans until they're ready for it. The realization that they create their own reality. Give it to me, I'll fly it to the moon, says the eagle. No, someday soon they'll go there and they'll find it. I'll bury it in the great plains, says the buffalo. No, they'll do it, dig and soon find it there as well. How about the bottom of the ocean, asks the salmon. Creator's like, no, just salmon. <laughs> it was the wise grandmother mole who chimed in next. She said, put it inside of them. And Creator says, done. It is the last place they will look.
and the dream is not truly lost in that situation where you wake up and it melts away. And the proof of this, and I'm sure you all have had this experience, is then you go off about your daily business. And then there will be, and it was almost always by coincidence, a, an image, a chance phrase, a, a view of a street or something, and it will cause you to remember the dream. And once you get a hook into a portion of the dream, if you then work on it, you can probably bring a lot of it out. How this works in psychedelics is if I have an insight or something that I particularly want to remember, uh, first of all, I will say it aloud this is strong imprinting and then the real imprinting is to repeat it a few minutes later and then a few minutes later again and if you can carry it over a number of minutes to several different levels it won't leave you a, a very useful shortcut for this is a tape recorder where if you play the tape of the trip back after the trip you will certain just a phrase spoken will set off a chain of associative recall and you will retain it this way. But to my mind, this is um, one of what shamanic training must really be is mnemonic training. The, if you want to bring the stuff back, you have to train yourself to bring it back. Now, this state-bounded thing, it's important to notice. We talk about how dreams are state-bounded how psychedelic experiences are state-bounded, but what we fail to notice usually is that ordinary reality is state-bounded. I mean, if I were to uh, ask any one of you, what did you discuss with the person you had lunch with yesterday? It's probably very touch-and-go to actually put this together. I had lunch yesterday with Richard, we discussed his television transmission system, but that was new to me and therefore easy to retain. And also Richard and I haven't had thousands of hours of conversation together, but uh, the person we are most familiar with is ourselves. Well, it, I don't know if it works for you like this, but I am, let us say, cleaning my house, vacuuming, doing dishes, making beds, and I'm thinking all the time, thinking. And I understand why Rome fell. I realize what I said wrong to somebody two weeks ago. I recall a telephone obligation that I have to fulfill. I think about things that happened years and years ago. And then the doorbell rings and I go to the door and there's someone there and they say, what are you doing? And I say, nothing. This is because the ordinary state of consciousness is highly state-bounded. We don't... One thing these Buddhists have certainly gotten right is that attention to attention is the key to taking control of your mental life. And for most of it, it's just like a river flowing by, you know, and every once in a while we check to see if the river is still flowing by, but we don't uh, attempt to retain it. So uh, memory training is great psychedelic training. And of course, as I'm sure you know, there were arts of memory in the past. We are very poor memorizers. 
because we rely on technologies to do it for us. But uh, people in the past had all kinds of technologies for allowing them to remember things. For instance, uh, the most common one in use in late antiquity and up through the Renaissance was uh, the memory palace approach. This is where you think of a place, a big place preferably, a place you know well, a school, a hospital, a cathedral, a university, but big, and sit and think about it. Think about how it looks as you go through the main doors and then what you see when you turn to the left and what you see when you turn to the right. Learn this building until you really can command it with reasonable vividness in most situations. Then, if you want to remember something, imagine yourself walking through the front door of this building, turning to your left, and there near the water fountain, you will place an emblem of this thing you want to remember. And then you will go down the hall and around the corner and by the fire extinguishers, you will place another emblem of the next thing you want to remember. Well then, the act of remembering this long list of things is the act of mentally moving through this imaginary building that you know. And when you come to the water fountain, the clue will be there. When you pass the fire extinguishers in your mind, the emblem you place there will be there. Now I know this sounds highly unworkable and unwieldy, but it actually is extremely workable. And, and people like Catullus and Cicero, the great late Roman orators, were able to speak for hours on end uh, with lists of virtues and vices and interconnecting causes and this sort of thing because they were masters of this mnemonic memory palace technique. Well, uh, psychedelics are a vivid... This is another one of these things like mantras, yantras, and so forth that works on psychedelics. You can do this. And so when you're on a psychedelic and you have an experience that you want to remember, place it in your memory palace. And the next time you come past that point in your memory palace, <laughs> this, uh, this thing will be there. Now, the other trick is... Any of you who are interested in this, the last word is The Art of Memory by Frances Yates, which is a wonderful woman, great scholar of Renaissance magic. And uh, the, the final trick is to make the, mem the image extremely vivid so that, for instance, if you're, if you're about to give a speech to your collegium on uh, the seven deadly sins, well, then one of these sins is lust. I chose the easy one because I can't remember what the other six are. <laughs> Shows you where my problem lies. So you don't, you don't just place the word lust in the memory-keeping spot. You, you place some vivid and shocking image. Yeats suggests the image of a nun lifting her skirts. I think this was a classically suggested one that people were taught to use. Well then, when you come around the corner and meet the nun lifting her skirts, you think, aha, lust. That's the first, and then you go on and so forth. And books, some of the most astonishing products of the medieval engraver's art, are these books of what are called emblemata. 
emblemata are uh, surreal juxtapositions of things and animal parts and bodies and machines that are memory emblems made as grotesque, surreal, and bizarre as possible in order to make them unforgettable. That, that was the technique. And the surrealists used this very consciously. There is something about the unexpected, the grotesque, and the surprising that is, by, almost by definition, memorable. And this will work very well in the psychedelic state. It's the right time to rise up to the time time as we can't get in the fight for the city that we make back the power that you crave right time to rise up to the time time as we can't get in the fight for the city that we make back the power that you crave I wish I practiced lucid dreaming more. I really should. Uh, I've had a few cases of it. And um, yeah, I should try to practice that more. That's why I wanted to listen to this talk uh, that you just heard. Because I'm playing it for myself to inspire me. And regarding what Terence was talking about, I never really had a problem remembering my psychedelic trips. I have a friend who uh, he's got a big problem remembering, but I remember quite well my my experiences. Maybe not in perfect detail, but I do remember a lot. And I always try to write everything down uh, the next day, as soon as I wake up, uh, or before I go to sleep, if 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 i could be, if i can be asked to write after the psychedelic experience but usually it's in the morning and i also during the psychedelic experience uh, when i experience something i think it's worth remembering i usually just think i have to remember this and that that usually works for me so uh, now i want to read a couple of reviews of this podcast this one's from Pistol Pete Sontag. And he writes, Awesome. Always a pleasure to listen to Alex talk. Amazing diverse range of interviews and opinions. Perfect to open the mind. XX. Well, hasn't been a diverse range of interviews lately, but um, uh, this review uh, was a while back i just haven't had time to read it out loud but uh, anyway thanks pistol pete sontag and here's another one from uh, wild roots podcast and uh, this person writes bold and involving i'm really loving this podcast the podcast speaks of the indigenousness that we now lack which makes us the apathetic blind creatures of modern society those indigenous traits are what made us more whole and balanced creatures, true alchemists. There is a wake-up call. There's always a wake-up call. So why don't people just freaking wake up? Because we follow lies instead of truths. The natural alchemist shares truths, which is what I love the most. Whether people want to hear it or not. 
And I am one who believes in talking about what people don't want to talk about. Thanks for this great podcast, Alex. Well, thank you Wild Roots Podcast for those nice words. And I'm glad you noticed that I tried to bring up the indigenous perspective. And so I'm happy you mentioned that. If you want to leave a nice review, please leave it over there on iTunes. And also share the podcast in social media. And if you got the dough, feel free to support the podcast over at patreon.com forward slash natural born alchemist. I want to close with the song Introspection by Sam Quick from the album The Way Forward. Check him out over at soundcloud.com forward slash sam-j-quick. I'll see you all in a week. Freedom is in the mind. Is it my self-esteem? Is it my selfless nature? I'm splitting at the seams from just the smallest fracture. Now I can hardly breathe. The sky is falling faster. It's not so hard to see. Once you confront your master, no time for introspection. Endless anxiety Why can't I calm a nervous feeling that's inside of me? This calls for haste dissection Of all that ails my mind But all the things that break apart is all that I can find This place